In 2 Samuel 3, we are going to meet a man named Abner. And Abner is the proverbial fence-sitter. He wasn't really with David. He wasn't really against David. It was all about self. And he sat on the fence. And he really is a man that could not be trusted. But he was a fence-sitter. And I have a question for you. Are you a fence-sitter? Are you sitting on the fence? Have you not decided which king and kingdom you're going to serve? I challenge you to think about that. And it's today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Some years ago, um, I heard pastors talking about sitting on the fence, and they would say, You know, people who have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ are miserable people because they have too much of Christ to be happy in the world and too much of the world to be happy in Christ. And so they're this continual person that's beat up. And I spent about the first four years of my Christian walk as a beat up Christian. I was saved, but I continued to go back to the gods of Egypt Just wanted to check one more time if they could satisfy my deepest needs. And every time I went back, I would find more conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. I don't believe, and this is based on Romans 8.1, that there's any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But I do believe the Holy Spirit is in the convicting business. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I couldn't be happy in my sin anymore. So every time I would try to go back to Egypt as a analogy, I would try to go back to the world, I would find this terrible ache in my soul. And God was calling me to follow him and to follow him wholeheartedly. What we really have at the core of 2 Samuel 3, and it's gonna be a fairly long chapter with a, a lot of ups and downs and ugliness in it, is a question that lingers. And the question is, who is your king? Have you decided? In Israel, if you notice verse 1 of 2 Samuel 3, there was a long war between the house of Saul, 2 Samuel 3, 1, and the house of David. David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. There was a long war, a long war in the nation of Israel between the house of Saul and the house of David, and, and the war was really about who was going to be the king. Was Ishbosheth supposed to be the king? He was the surviving son of Saul. He had been put into office as a puppet king by Abner, who had been the commander of Saul's army. Or was David supposed to be the king? And the nation was divided, and the nation was at war as a result. And many Christians who have not really decided to get off the fence are in a personal war with themselves. Maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you feel like the proverbial fence sitter. I heard once somebody once say, if you want to get a real idea of what it's like to sit on the fence, picture a picket fence and you've got it. It's not the most comfortable place to be, for sure. But we all struggle, I think, with making that wholehearted commitment to Christ because it is a battle. In the book of Exodus, chapter 32, we were just studying this at the men's Bible study, 
the Moses had gone up on the mountain. He was getting information about the tabernacle. The people had already received the law and they said everything that God says to do, we will do it. And a blood covenant was made. The blood was sprinkled on the people and so forth. And they said, we're going to do it. We're going we're to behave. We're going to follow these laws. And Moses went up on the mountain and God was giving him measurements for the tabernacle and so forth. And Moses had been gone for a while. And the people said to Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. Well, they, they really did know what happened to him. He was up on the mountain spending time with God. We would assume that the presence of God, the, the fire was still on the mountain. So the people were not ignorant, but they couldn't wait. They became impatient and they came to Aaron. They said, make us a God who we can worship and follow. And the account actually says that the people assembled around Aaron. And the idea of the Hebrew there is that they assembled with the idea of judgment in mind. In other words, Aaron was under some peer pressure to make them a god out of gold, the famous golden calf. So they took their earrings off, all the little ones and all the women and, and everything, and they, they gave them to Aaron. And, and the gold that had been spoils of Egypt was supposed to be used for the furniture of the tabernacle. But instead, they used it for, to make a golden calf, and it was fashioned into a golden calf. And the people began to worship this golden calf, and they began to laud it, and they began to say, this is the God who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Can you imagine being God up on Sinai? What did they just say? How many things did I show them? How many of you have had the experience where you do good to a person, maybe you do multiple good, benevolent things for them, and the moment that you're not there at the crisis point, they're ready to trade you in? Parents can often feel this way, <laughs> right? And so he made a God, and they began to dance around this so-called God. And later in Exodus 32, when Moses comes down the mountain and confronts Aaron, it's something like this. What have you done? And Aaron came up with the lamest excuse ever recorded in the Bible, in my opinion. He said, I took the gold from the people, threw it into the fire, and poof, out popped this golden calf. It was a remarkable happening. Can you imagine that? This guy's the first high priest of Israel. And comes up with a lame excuse. We can all be that way. He was under pressure. When Stephen is before the Sanhedrin, he captures what happened when he says, write this down for your notes, Acts 7.35. He says, our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him. They refused to obey him. But they repudiated or rejected him. Listen to this. And in their hearts turned back to Egypt. That's Acts 7.39. Please hear what I'm about to say. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. The issue was not the ostensible, pragmatic side of things. The issue was one of the heart. It was easy, you could say in one sense, because of the power of God to take the people out of Egypt. Much more challenging to get Egypt out of the people. And often what happens in our hearts is we haven't truly dealt with our idols. 
So we've moved out of Egypt, if you will, headed towards the promises of God into the promised land, but we haven't dealt with our core heart issues. So a problem comes up, a difficulty, a challenge. We get impatient with God, and what do we do? We go back to our old idols. We go back to Egypt into our hearts. We go back to this place of safety, forgetting that we were being whipped by the taskmaster and we were under Egyptian bondage. And all of a sudden we want to turn back and we stay right there on a fence. And we become ineffective. And when Moses came down the mountain, Moses was upset because the people had broken the law of God. In 2 Samuel 3, 1 the image of a long war made me think of this very fact that the Christian life is a, is a long war. <laughs> you could literally translate verse 1 as the war was long. Sometimes, man, it seems like some of my weeks just feel like a constant battle. Anybody out there? Can I get a witness? Some of my weeks feel like fairly smooth sailing. In fact, I've had times in my Christian life where I've said something like this. You know... Things have been pretty calm lately. I'm starting to learn not to say that anymore. Because the moment I say, things have been pretty calm lately, all of a sudden a storm front blows in to my life. The Christian life is a battle. The Apostle Paul in Romans 7.23 said, I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind. He said, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I, I sense a different law in the members of my body. That's Romans 7, 22 and 23. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. See, one of the things we have to learn is we don't fight this war the way we fight other wars. If you want to get in shape, you go to the gym. If you want to get in shape, you change your eating habits. If you want to get a promotion at work, you show up earlier. There's some things that cross over there, but the Christian life is, is more about submission than it is about effort per se. Everybody with me? You've got to submit in deeper ways to the kingship and the lordship of Jesus Christ and the house of Israel battled the battle went on for years who's going to be the king one king in the north one king in the south David was supposed to be the king of the nation David was down in Judah kind of the area of Jerusalem is what we're talking about but only the house of Judah had really anointed him and there was there were people who were certainly uh, uh, subservient to David, but there was a challenge. There was a battle going on. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. If you look at 2 Samuel 3 for a second, something else jumped out at me in verse 1. It says, David grew steadily stronger. It is possible as a Christian to get stronger. Some of you may be wondering about that. Is it possible to overcome old habits? Many Christians are stuck in habitual sin patterns. Let's be real. 
It can be difficult, especially young Christians find that it's hard to get rid of the baggage of the former life. We all understand that. Those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time. And just when we think we've overcome some areas, then sometimes they rear their... Hey folks, I've been telling you about different ways that you can connect with Walk in Truth. And one of the ways you can do it through modern technology is download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll have access to all kinds of cool resources, including one thing I'm going to highlight today, which is a devotional. It's a video devotion I've done on, will God give you any more than you can handle? Question mark. I'm sure you've had that question. It's a five minute video devotion. It'll bless you. You can refer friends to it and hopefully it'll help you with your walk. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth and check out the devotion today. God bless you. It is possible as a Christian to get stronger. Some of you may be wondering about that. Is it possible to overcome old habits? Many Christians are stuck in habitual sin patterns. Let's be real. It can be difficult, especially young Christians find that it's hard to get rid of the baggage of the former life. We all understand that. Those of us who have been walking with the Lord for some time. And just when we think we've overcome some areas, then sometimes they rear their ugly head. But here's the thing. It is possible to get stronger and stronger as a Christian. And there's just a kind of a a secret to it, I guess you'd say, that's pretty basic. Here's what it is. You might want to take a note of this. If you starve your sin, starve it and feed the spirit, you will grow stronger. If you starve sin, it will lose its power. If you build up the things of the Spirit, you will get stronger as a Christian. Psalm 84 says, They, those who follow the Lord, go from strength to strength. Psalm 84, verse 7. You can go from strength to strength. From one degree of glory to another, if you will. You can get stronger. But the battle belongs ultimately to the Lord. So we put on the full armor of God that we might take our stand. And we have a battle. And the battle is hard. The Apostle Paul says, Who is weak without my being weak? 2 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? When we fight the wrong battles in our Christian life, we deplete our energies. Let me ask you, Have you been sitting on the fence too long? Are you depleting all of your energy in the battle against some silly thing that you just refuse to let go? Where do you want to really spend your energies? Where do you want to spend your days? Where do you want to truly put your effort? I ask you. Do you want to get off the bench and get in the game? Then we have to make a decision to follow the Lord. What we're going to find here is a struggle a struggle over kingship, a struggle between two households. And at the center of it will be a man named Abner. We'll get to him in a moment. But as we kind of summarize what happened to David as he was in Hebron, uh, leading down there in the south, it says these words, sons were born to David, Second Samuel 3, 2, at Hebron. That's where he was reigning. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, his second was Kiliab. He's called Daniel in 1 Chronicles 3.1. He came to David by Abigail. Abigail was the widow of, widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. 
The third son born to David in Hebron was a son named Absalom. We'll learn more about him later, but he was the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Gesher. Now, there's going to be a sordid history that comes from these boys. Amnon, uh, who was David's firstborn, is not a happy story. He would end up raping his half-sister Tamar and be murdered by Tamar's full brother, Absalom. Just ugly things happen in David's household. Absalom, whom David loved very deeply, would lead a painful rebellion against the king. And Absalom would die. Uh, he would be murdered or killed in battle, actually, by Joab, who was David's commander. So this is the son, I think, that David wanted to have him follow uh, David as king, but it didn't work out. Makkah, by the way, end of verse 3, the daughter of Talmai, was in an area where David had done a raid. If you write down 1 Samuel 27, 8, and 9, David went into this place. He slew all these people, it, it seems wrongly, and he took this daughter captive, and she became his wife. I'm sure you're all noticing that David has multiple wives, and we've said that the king was not to, supposed to multiply wives to himself. He was warned. The kings of Israel were warned not to do this. And they did it over and over and over again. So he took her as a wife. The fourth born to David was Adonijah, the son of Haggith. The fifth was Shephatiah, the son of Apatol. The sixth and the final was Ethrium by David's wife Eglah. These were born to David at Hebron. So sons five and six, we have very little information about. After relocating his capital to Jerusalem, we'll see in chapter five, David took on even more wives. But here he has multiple wives. And I think in this, uh, this section, we have six sons born to him by six different women. So I'll just say to you, David's life was complicated. Would you agree? Now he made these decisions and look, Eastern kings of this time had something that we need to be familiar with as we think about the backdrop, and they had what was called harems. Now, the king of Israel was not supposed to follow the ways of the other Eastern kings, but David did do that. And people let him get away with it, and for all practical purposes, God let him get away with it. But I'm sure you've noticed in life, God will let you do many dumb things. Have you noticed? I mean, I, I experience this on a weekly basis, <laughs> right? Not every decision that I make is a wise decision. And God rarely stops me. Now, some of you say, I wish he would more. He often warns me. He prods me. I often hear that still small voice saying, Michael, don't do that again. I'm trying to learn to heed that voice, but this is the battle that we have. And so David had to learn the hard way. We're trying to spare next generations of having to learn the hard way, but it seems like every generation keeps repeating the same mistake. And it came about while there was war between the house of Saul, verse 6, and the house of David, that Abner, now he's going to be a main character as we move on, was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now, Abner was a man who was a classic opportunist. He was politically shrewd. 
In fact, the only, way, the only reason that Ishbosheth was king in the north was because Abner had put him into that spot. Abner had pushed it. And the power behind the northern kingdom, if you will, if I can put it that way, was Abner. Abner was the one that was calling the shots. Abner was the, the one that was doing the, the battling and the maneuvering. So the fact that the house of Saul was growing weaker, to me, meant Abner was growing weaker. I think Abner realized that David was the man and he was starting to lose. And Abner was all about self. Abner was a fence sitter. He liked to play both sides. He liked to be on the winning team. He was a bandwagon fan. I was watching the Little League World Series recently and they had given nicknames to a lot of the uh, players from the United States. I can't remember what the team was, but they called one of the kids on the team bandwagon. That was his nickname. And the announcer said, why do they give him the nickname Bandwagon? He says, he, he only likes the winning team. So whoever's in first place becomes his team. Now, I don't know how many of you are Bandwagon fans. I hope you're not. I hope you're faithful to your team. I hope you're faithful to the Dodgers, for example. <laughs> We're going to have a war. We're going to have a church split over that. Now, I will tell you something that's happened between me and Matthew. Matthew is a Patriots fan. I, whew, man, it's going to get heavy in the room. None of the spiritual stuff got the response, but now we're talking football, right? Now, I am a longtime Steeler fan. I have a Steeler blankie I cuddle with every night. Matthew has a yellow and black truck. It is crying out for a large Steeler sticker on the back window. I've been threatening Matthew <laughs> with that, although he's been threatening me back that he's going to place little Patriot stuff in my office. So there's a long war going on within the church, and I see other jerseys, family members sitting in here today. We won't go there. <laughs> anyway, so here's Abner, and he is really the power behind the side of Saul, if you will, or Ishbosheth. Now Saul had a concubine, verse 7, whose name was Rizpah, part of the harem, if you will, of Saul, who has now died. She's the daughter of Ayah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Now Ishbosheth finds out that Abner has had a relationship with daddy's concubine. And he confronts Abner. And Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, verse 8. And he said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Now, this is one of the great lines in the Bible. Am I a dog's head? I've been working on this all week. Like if I'm at dinner and somebody won't pass me the potatoes, I'm going to start using this. What am I, a dog's head? I don't know if I should be using it, but. <laughs> Now notice what he says. He says, Today I show kindness to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hands of David, and yet today you charge me with guilt concerning the woman. Now, do you sense a little deflection from Abner? Now the Bible doesn't say that the, the charge against him was accurate, but I don't see any reason to doubt that this is what he did. He started messing around where he didn't belong. In fact, concubines, by the way, were the sole property of the one who was inheriting the throne. 
The deceased king's harem belonged to the one who was claiming the kingdom or next on the throne. So writers, when you read a little bit about this, say that if you were to do this with a concubine, it wasn't just about the physical act. It was about you saying the kingdom belongs to me. What was happening basically is Abner was making a play for the throne by this activity. By disgracing Ishbosheth, by saying, I'm the real power. Your harem belongs to me. He was making a claim for the throne. So Ishbosheth confronts Abner. And Abner, of course, you know, basically brushes it aside. And here's what he says. Something like this. After all I've done for you, man, I've propped you up. I haven't given you over to David. I've protected you. And you get mad at me for being with this woman? Wow. Do you see what he's doing? Abner is manipulating Ishbosheth. Have you ever confronted someone and all of a sudden they turn it around and you feel like you're the guilty party and you're like, wait a minute, where do we start again on this? There's some people who are classic about turning things around. Wait a minute, hold on. Didn't Abner just do what we would call the classic blame shift by charging? He says, you charge me with guilt? You think I'm the guilty party? You are the guilty party. Now we could discuss the morals of the situation, which are a big problem, but, but Abner was guilty. I heard a story told by a pastor this week. He, was, he told a story about a woman who had, she had grown very lonely. She wanted someone to talk to. So she went to this pet store and she, she went and got a parakeet. And the parakeet, you know, could talk back to her. And that's really what she was looking for, someone to talk to, someone who would speak back to her. So she brought the parakeet home. She had it in a little cage. She began to talk to it and was hoping that it would talk back to her. And nothing for a whole week. The parakeet said nothing. So she went back to the store. She said, I don't know what's the deal with this parakeet. It won't talk. Store owner says, oh, you, got, you need to get a ladder. If you get a ladder, the bird will climb up and down the ladder and It'll be active and it'll talk to you. So she bought the ladder, brought it home, started trying to talk to the parakeet. Nothing. A whole, a whole other week goes by. She goes back to the store. The thing's not talking to me. Oh, you need to get a mirror. When it sees itself in the mirror, it, it'll, it'll be energized and it'll talk back to you. It brings the mirror home, in the, puts it in the cage. The bird's there. She's trying to talk to it. Nothing. So she goes back to the store. She says, Hey, this bird's not talking to me. What should I do? Oh, here's what you need to do. You need to get a swing for the parakeet. If you get a swing for the parakeet, it'll swing back and forth. And then when you talk to it, it'll talk back to you. So she gets the swing. She got the mirror. She got the ladder. She's trying to talk to the parakeet. Nothing from the bird. All of a sudden, she looks in the cage, and one day, the bird just falls over dead. She's like, man, I have been ripped off by this pet store. She goes back to the owner, and she says, that bird not only didn't talk to me, the bird is dead. It's dead. And the owner of the store said, well, did he say anything before he died? She said, yes. He said he had some final words before he died. What did he say? He said right before he died, do they sell any food at that pet store? Hey folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals and you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, 
Search for Walk in Truth and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.